Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Thomas P. Dorian. Yes, sir. And Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. I had to, I forgot his name for a second there. So <laughs> I just had to cover with a long Z. That wasn't an effect. Uh, no. You know what? I'm just, it's just the way it is now. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't remember things. It's, that's okay, though. You get a little bit grayer. I think that's what happens. <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more. But that's Plus okay. Plus you throw in a bunch of kids. Oh, yeah. That's what really does it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think the kids are actually what keep me young. They wear you down. Well, there's a little bit of that, too. But yeah. uh, they're, they're a blessing, I have to admit. So here we are, uh, and we're going to talk, speaking of blessings, we're going to talk about uh, Blessed John the Baptist. I just oh, yeah. threw that in there. Called him Blessed John the Baptist. <laughs> And uh, once again, uh, you're a pro. I'm the, I'm the titler. They call yeah. me uh, titleist. Uh, and so John the Baptist, you know, the, and what's interesting about John the Baptist is obviously as this show airs, uh, August 29th is uh, the feast of, uh, well, the, the, the uh, feast of the beheading of John the Baptist is what I like to say. Oh, the passion is what they say for wimps. Right. Yeah, the passion of John the Baptist, but the beheading, that's the old school way of the saying The forcible removal of his head. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's like, that's the real deal right yes. there. Uh, it's interesting, you know, John the Baptist is one of the few folks that have more than one feast day in right. the Universal Church. Yep. So we have John the Baptist. He's got his nativity, uh, June the 24th, mm-hmm. and then he's got his beheading or his passion, August 29th. Yes. Right? Then we also have uh, St. Joseph, who's got his two feasts, right? Just the, the Feast of St. Joseph during Lent. And then certainly the, um, uh, the, the St. Joseph the Worker, that mm-hmm. feast day that we all celebrate. And then, of course, uh, Mary has 58,432 feast days. <laughs> That's plus or minus a few. There's a couple of them that probably, you know, are just minor feasts. But Some haven't yet been approved, but they're waiting. <laughs> they are, they're in line. So uh, our Blessed Mother has many feast days on the calendar for obvious reasons. And so this is it's interesting that we get to celebrate uh, this, this saint, John the Baptist, and I think it'll be a great idea just to do a little, just to talk about John the Baptist, uh, because we all kind of know a little bit about John the Baptist, just from the scripture readings, and uh, Sam, you dress like him a lot. I'm wearing the camel hair right now, and if, hey, will you pass the wild honey, by the way? <laughs> yeah. No, we do have locust muffins mm, on the menu today. Crunch. It's the crunch time. that makes it, you know. <laughs> So we've heard the we've heard the Bible songs, you know, yeah. selected in accordance with Leviticus standards. By the way, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, I think Father Ben, who's our head chef, I think he's all, also uh, qualified to, to 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 cook us that certain way. Uh, I could see that, huh? I could see that. He knows how to do it. He knows how to cook. Um, but anyway, all, all that aside, <laughs> see how easily we go astray. Oh, yeah. We, Don't order the silver platter special here today, though, at the Catholic Cafe. Blue plate's fine. Silver platter special, That's no. right. No silver. No silver because <laughs> you're going to end up getting John the Baptist's head on it. Feature. Uh, I think for those who don't understand what that reference was. It's, it's actually, it's a cake. It's a bundt cake, but it looks creepy. Don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Okay. You two are wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> that is wrong. That is wrong. So, so let's talk about John the Baptist uh, in, in the way that I think that's going to uh, uh, 
I think it's important for us to to know a little more about this saint, not just know, I guess, some things about him, but really why it's important for us to to focus on John the Baptist. Why does the church, well, first of all, why does the church afford him two feast days? Why is this so important? Um, And I think one of those things is, well, first we have the nativity of John the Baptist, right, June the 24th. That's pretty special, by the way. I mean, we don't celebrate the beginnings of most other than Jesus himself. Yes, and typically we only we only do the beginnings of uh, the the saints' day in heaven, right. like their 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 rebirth into heaven, and that's what ends up being their feast day, right? The day that they were born into eternal life, and uh, and so John the Baptist gets his actual nativity, and I think some of that reason I don't want to try to figure out exactly why the church did everything that she did all throughout these centuries, but the reality is there were a lot of interesting things about his birth mm-hmm. right there there was the the very first of all the miracle of his conception mm-hmm. oh yeah just because his mother was beyond the 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 years that normally someone would conceive a child the presence of an angel i think that that's happened at least once before <laughs> that's right that's exactly right or once after i guess yes <laughs> I yes um and, and you know and also if you we remember um uh, john the baptist leapt in uh, his mother's womb, Anaphaneo. Right, exactly. When when Mary approached, uh, who was con- was carrying Jesus, and so even in the womb, we see this role of John as the forerunner, mm-hmm. right? John the herald, mm-hmm. and so John heralds the the coming of the Lord, uh, and I and I love that uh, just the idea that John the Baptist even. In his infancy, actually, even in his, uh, you know, in his, uh, during the gestational period, mm-hmm. you know, in the mother's womb, uh, which is a, a beautiful testament for all of our pro-life uh, fans out there, a beautiful testament to the value of, of life in the womb. And so even John was doing his job even before many people think that somebody's born. That's my understanding. The, the the language for his leaping in the womb actually lines up linguistically with the language of uh, David dancing with joy in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and with Mary being the Ark of the New Covenant containing right. within her the bread that came down from heaven and the word uh, you know, within her her womb. There's some beautiful uh, prefigurement going on uh, in, in that, and to make that comparison, uh, and because uh, Luke talks a lot about who Mary is, and we can make we can we can make direct connections. That's what Tom was referring to. Anaphaneo. We got just look <laughs> look, look up Anaphaneo on our website uh, and find search for the show about Anaphaneo. It's a fascinating uh, connection between. Uh, the new Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant. And so to see Mary and to see the Ark and to see the comparisons that we can make to Mary based on what the Scriptures tell us about the Ark, and that's what's also tell, being told about Mary. It's a it's a beautiful connection, and John the Baptist plays a critical part mm-hmm. uh, to all of that. I, I, I also, you know, this idea of him being a forerunner of Jesus and, and pointing the way, I mean, you know, that comes even from the very beginning uh, as we, uh, as a as a member of the clergy, uh, and also our lay uh, members of the church can also do this. I pray the the uh, uh, the office, the liturgy, of the hours every day, um, and so morning prayer. Uh, I get to read this canticle of Zechariah every morning, uh, and and I'm reading now from the actual scripture um, in um, uh, in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, starting. 
at 68, verse 68. So if you want to follow along, pull your vehicle over, by the way. So <laughs> good thing. Uh, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and brought redemption to his people. He has raised up a horn for our salvation within the house of David, his servant, even as he promised through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to be mindful of his holy covenant, and of the oath he swore to Abraham our father, and to grant us that rescued from the hand of enemies, without fear we might worship him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness and death's shadow, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so this is the beautiful thing that Zechariah, I mean, his canticle that he sings out uh, to, to his son and speaks of his son here. And what's beautiful about that essentially is Zechariah then is, is becoming a prophet, Mm-hmm. Right, uh, re- revealing the path that the important path that John the Baptist would, Baptist would take as a forerunner, and I, I just focus on that part about you, my child, to be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, mm-hmm. right? And how important that is that that John the Baptist would do that, and John the Baptist does it, right? And so this idea of giving people knowledge of the forgiveness of their sins, of God's mercy, right? He does this because what is what is why do they call him John the Baptist? He's baptizing people, seeking a baptism of repentance in the Jordan River. That's right. In fact, he actually baptizes Jesus at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So many years later, after this canticle of Zechariah, some thirty some odd years later, we hear uh, we we see the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, mm. uh, and so that John the Baptist lived this. And another thing that he lived um, is his willingness to speak out against the powers that be, including the Pharisees and whatnot, who would come and as he was baptizing folks, he didn't hold, he didn't pull any punches. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, he said he things. Threw yeah, yeah. He 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 was a little brash. Them vipers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you you, uh, you you didn't like you didn't just like sneak past John the Baptist. <laughs> I would imagine he's one of those guys. He's a street corner guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. He would be thumping that Bible and pointing at you. You you sinner. You know. He would he, he would let he would let you know. Um, but this this whole idea of. Of John the Baptist being the forerunner, and in in it's a powerful image, and I, th- I think also it's interesting to understand that his whole life John pointed people to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? That one will come after me that I'm not even uh, worthy to un- unstrap the sandals or as loosen his uh, straps of his sandals or whatever, depending on what translation you have. But I can't I can't take it. I can't hold a candle to this guy, right? You know, but but Jesus himself says of John the Baptist, there was no matter, greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. And Jesus would know, being that's, co-eternal with the Father. Really. That's exactly right. He he would know this. It's a decent compliment. Yeah, I, I tell you what, that's that is like I would put that like on I guess the cover of my autobiography, you know, as an endorsement. You know, right. well, and I think another important way, especially today, that he was a forerunner. Uh, yet in the way that he lived his life, yes, but also in the way that he laid his life down, uh, I think that uh, his martyrdom also speaks to him as a, a forerunner as That's well. That's right. He went, he went ahead of the Lord, 
uh, in that way, uh, and 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 spoke. I'm really, I guess, he lived it. I mean, this guy took that whole thing that Zechariah just said seriously. Mm-hmm. It's like th- this is what you you will be. I mean, essentially, because what it says specifically is you will go before the Lord to prepare His way. Well, if the Lord's way is martyrdom, essentially to die for our sins, that's the way that John the Baptist goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was all in. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist was not partially in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I imagine there was no uh, air conditioning in his cave. I'm just going to say he was all in. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever used the phrase lukewarm with John the Baptist. <laughs> no. no, not at all. Not at all. So we're going to talk more about John the Baptist when we get back after we take a, a break here. But before we do take a break, I want to remind folks at home we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at the, thecatholiccafe.com. And like us on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share our posts and comment on them. It makes a difference. Yes, it does. And we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski. And this is another great moment in church history. Just about every family that celebrates Christmas will set up a nativity scene somewhere in their home. But most people are unfamiliar with the origins of this beautiful custom. The solemn tradition of the Christmas crash was started by none other than St. Francis of Assisi in the early 13th century. Just a few short years before his death, St. Francis traveled to Greccio, a small Italian town built on a beautiful mountainside, so that he might celebrate Christmas there. But because the local church was not near large enough to hold all those who desired to attend Midnight Mass, he sought permission from the Pope to hold Mass in a niche in a mountain wall in the town square. But this Midnight Mass would prove to be quite unique. St. Francis set up the altar in preparation for the solemn occasion. St. Bonaventure, in his work, The Life of St. Francis of Assisi, written just after the death of St. Francis, takes up the story from here. He says, Then he prepared a manger and brought hay and an ox and an ass to the place appointed. The brethren were summoned. The people ran together. The forest resounded with their voices, and that venerable night was made glorious by many and brilliant lights and sonorous psalms of praise. The man of God, St. Francis, stood before the manger, full of devotion and piety, bathed in tears and radiant with joy. The Holy Gospel was chanted by Francis, the Levite of Christ. Then he preached to the people around the nativity of the poor king, and being unable to utter his name for the tenderness of his love, he called him the Babe of Bethlehem. That would be special enough if the story ended there, but it doesn't. St. Bonaventure then goes on to tell us that a miracle occurred on that cold and clear Christmas morning on the mountainside. After St. Francis prayed before the tiny wooden manger, a beautiful baby appeared for all to see, sleeping in the manger. It was the Christ child. The entire town and all those pilgrims who had come to celebrate Midnight Mass with St. Francis were genuinely moved by this miraculous event. Not only that, but, lest anyone in the town should doubt, there were many stories of the miraculous healings that came from touching the hay on which Jesus slept. And so, to this very day, the tradition of the Christmas creche, the nativity scene, is held with great reverence in the homes of Christians throughout the world. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history.
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian and Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. Yeehaw! Yeah, we're riding <laughs> horses, apparently. Uh, I just get, came back from the Dude Ranch. You know. Yes, I, I appreciate that. Uh, that's where Tom Tom had been in so many so many times at all these different things that were places where Tom went went. That you gotta check incredible. them out; they're really nice. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can yeah. only imagine. I just am not gonna wear chaps. Um, okay, <laughs> thank you. So so here we are talking about John the Baptist, and there's some really cool stuff about John the Baptist that we've that we've kind of started to talk a little bit about. But I I think I want to kind of uh, delve into now like why we care. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds odd. But why, why do we need to even talk about John the Baptist? Because a lot of people will look at John the Baptist and say, like many of the things in the church, it's not relevant to me. I mean, it's nice. It's nice. It's, and it's what my parents or grandparents did or whatever. And I, I've read a couple of books. I, I sang a couple of songs in Sunday school about John the Baptist and ooh, yuck, he ate bugs and all that, whatever. And but why today? Why do I care about John the Baptist, or what do I? Why do we look to John the Baptist today? So to answer that question, Tom has got a, a thing prepared. <laughs> oh That's actually it's a poem. That's a sonnet. <laughs> oh, Tom. Yeah. They don't have Ode to rhyme, do they? To John. <laughs> so, so so no. Honestly, though, I, it's like what what are we? You know, I so I want to go back to the Canticle of Zechariah. Uh, and and one of the important things about the Canticle of Zechariah, and just remind folks that every clergyman in the church is required daily to pray that canticle. Yeah. All right. It's 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 an important canticle. It's not like it's just like, and it's not just about John the Baptist. Yeah. I mean, and, one, and all consecrated religious too. That's exactly that's exactly right. Depending on their order and and who they are and what they're doing, uh, I know it's in the, the rules of many. Uh, many a uh, an order, and so looking at this, where essentially uh, there's a simple concept here. I think that we can we can all get something out of, and not just clergy, but but every Christian can can look at this um, and see where Zechariah says, "And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us. So we are all called to be John the Baptist. I mean, it, no one gets off this. I mean, this, essentially, this is this is the heart of what evangelization is. In fact, you can call John the, the Baptist the first evangelizer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the evangelist, John the evangelist is, you know, we'll look at John the, the gospel writer. We call him John the evangelist, but really the first one was John the Baptist, the evangelist. Because essentially, he is preparing the way of the Lord. He's calling out. And in fact, his words, what's so beautiful is his very words from Scripture are what we say every time we have Mass. Yep. When when the host is elevated and the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, that's John the Baptist speaking. And essentially, when he holds up that host, right, essentially he's saying, Behold, look, here, this is, this is the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And, and essentially pointed everyone to Jesus because that was his job. In fact, you'd say that was the pinnacle of what he was called to do, that moment in Scripture. Mm-hmm. His whole life, his whole birth had led him to point his finger to Jesus and say, okay, you guys have been following me, but really, 
there's the guy. And let's not downplay it in terms of people following him. He had a huge following. Oh, yeah. Tons of people were showing up, including people of rank within the society, wanting to get this message of hope, which is what he was bringing, because he was. it wasn't just, you're a sinner. It was also, God has a plan to forgive sins, but it requires your repentance. Yes, it requires some humility, but there's a message of hope, and he got a huge, huge following, and yet... Another key line, I think, that lines up with what you're saying is, he said, I must decrease so that Jesus may increase. That's right. So he knew his, he knew his place, and that sounds awful to say it that way, but that's the reality. He knew what his job was. Well, let's say mission. That's better. He knew what his mission was, he, and, he, and, he, and he fulfilled it to the very end, and he never, he never deviated from that mission. And we're also, likewise, not supposed to get in God's way. I know I've gotten in God's way plenty of times during in an attempts to, to minister to others, but I have something that's helped ground me in what's really required of true ministry is that line of, I must decrease so that Jesus may increase. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and so there, there is no place for pride. Certainly that sin uh, can lead so many astray, but, it, but essentially it clouds the message. Right, the simple message uh, that Jesus loves us and that Jesus wants us in heaven with Him, uh, and so when we have pride and like we 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 accomplish things and we make we we conquer and we have victories, that's a problem. Then we're no longer being John the Baptist, but we are called. Each of us is called to do exactly what John did and to point Jesus out uh, to, especially to those who need to see Him. And I think also another thing about St. John the Baptist that comes to mind as we're reflecting upon today's feast especially, which is the feast of his passion, his beheading, what brought it about? Ultimately, you know, it wasn't the fullness of his ministry and and uh, pointing out to all these various Pharisees their need to repent. That isn't the thing that did him in. Ultimately, the thing that did him in was he spoke frankly and bluntly about King Herod and the relationship he had with Herodias. And the word that comes to mind as I say this is integrity. You know, he could have said to himself, gosh, you know, I could maybe keep going with my ministry if I hold back this one time. You know, he's, he was in jail for a long time. Probably if he had said, okay, King Herod, tell you what you let me out i'll go ahead and i'll uh i'll backpedal he never did that he never did that and uh i think being and a plus martyr, he said it in the first place yes he whereas said most people wouldn't have said it in the first place right, especially exactly. this day and age it's like well you know who am i to say that you are like you know that you're 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 failing in, in your whatever it's not my place <laughs> to determine that right so to, to each his own or whatever and even even sometimes in our in our on our spiritual journey we're not willing to stand up for what we actually and really believe right we'll let people wow. sort of like move move over us and just just mow us down because we just give in well what i'm hearing you say to an extent is that he was a martyr against relativism you know to an extent he was not a relativist in any way no, at no all. he was not a relativist i don't know if i would have used that word but as you say it yeah it makes perfect sense because uh you know and and what did uh uh, you know, our, our Pope Emeritus Benedict say that the greatest threat to the world right now is moral, moral relativism. Exactly. And so, you know, we need John the Baptists. I say plurally. Yeah. We, we, we need someone to say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. We need someone to say plainly, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Right? Um, and, and this idea that things are wrong I'm, it doesn't mean you have to go get in somebody's face. 
But essentially, when the moment arose at the time, Herod, you know, was standing there talking to him, was like, you know, you, you have no, uh, you have no right to take your brother Philip's wife. You can't have her. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't do that. I mean, he just says it bluntly. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of thing you say to Herod. No, right? But he says it bluntly. He just he he, he says that. And what's so interesting is there there are lots of stories that are not sort of um, we'll just say inspired scripture. Uh, so there's lots of stories. And I was reading one of them about John the Baptist and talking. It's a it's an old uh, story that talks about him, and it and it says that John the Baptist's head flew over Jerusalem for three years, repeating that you can't have you can't take your <laughs> your brother's wife. Wow, it's an interesting uh, thing, but it's like even in his death, you know, suppose <laughs> he wouldn't shut up. Jared looked up and said, "Gosh, I really made a, a boo boo on this one." Yeah. More, more like I, I hate that guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's more like what he was saying. And if they had anti aircraft guns back then, I think Herod would have employed them to try to shoot the head down. But but the thing is, and again, I, that's not canonical. So just was so don't start writing and think Deacon Jeff is quoting these uh, you know heretical texts. I'm just saying the the concept of John the Baptist, it you know he lived on beyond, and that's why he's in Scripture, right? He lived beyond his his earthly years, and and two thousand years later, we still need him today, and he needs to inspire those who are listening to this program. He needs to inspire those who are right now in the in the midst of all the chaos that's taken place in uh, in our country, uh, he, he in our world. And John the Baptist can speak volumes to to uh, and simply. Mm-hmm. It's not complex. Mm-mm. You know, there's right and there's wrong. And to stand up and speak for the right uh, and let, you know what, let John the Baptist, he's already lost his head once, it's okay. Yeah. You know, let him take the heat. So when someone gets mad, you say, well, it's John the Baptist, go blame him. Right. <laughs> Behead him again, right? So all that said, you know, to be inspired, to, to we are each called to be a John the Baptist, to be an evangelist, to point people to Jesus. We can do it as simply as, as we do at Mass with our kids. When, when at that point in the Eucharist, we point and say, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. John the Baptist, pray for us. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.